Vermont Governor Phil Scott signed a bill into law that will pay people $10,000 if they move to Vermont and work remotely for an employer out of state. Wow. The Remote Worker Grant Program will take effect on January 1st, 2019 and will help cover moving, living, and working expenses. This policy is intended to address Vermont's aging population. So you can't go like work for Ben and Jerry's? I guess not. Or some maple syrup conglomerate. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Hey, welcome to Touchpoint, the podcast. I am Reed, is joined always by Chris on the other side of the microphone. How's it going? Pretty good, Reed. Touchpoint the podcast, as opposed to Touchpoint the musical. Well, I mean, it could be Touchpoint the the network of shows that we have, which is different than Touchpoint the show. Thanks for joining us, as always, episode 78, kicking off here. And as we just mentioned, we have a whole network full of shows, so this being one of them, digital marketing, patient experience, all that kind of good stuff, but be sure to go to touchpoint.health. Check out the other shows that we have, seven other shows. Uh, we're soon going to have, gosh, another one or two uh, coming online here before too long. Here we are, Reed. And, you know, when we look at all of the shows that are on the Touchpoint Media Network, it really is because of a lot of our sponsors. And I think that we always like to start off the show kind of tipping our hat towards one of our most loyal sponsors, if you will. Pun intended. <laughs> well, absolutely. So loyal, you know, very early on realized that healthcare consumers wanted to know what other patients had to say. Uh, and that they definitely pay attention to the number of stars that end up in there and beside a physician's name online. I mean, we've all seen them. And for health systems, embracing these online doctor reviews and star ratings is sort of a win-win strategy, but you have to do it the right way. Loyal's AI-driven platform provides... Uh, health systems with the tools they need to amplify the patient's feedback and guide patients through their digital journey. And they have a multidisciplinary team of engineers, marketers, data scientists, and partner with some of the nation's leading health systems to help promote patient feedback online, which ultimately means is they really know their stuff. For more information about what they're doing uh, and even to schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com. Today, uh, a new old subject, but one that we haven't really talked about, at least not explicitly on the podcast. That's right. Inbound marketing. And that's a term that I've been hearing for a number of years, read inbound marketing. And it always has caused a little bit of question in my mind because, you know, when you talk about inbound versus outbound marketing, you know, sometimes I feel that those two things kind of are, are blurred lines between the two. Before we get into it, maybe we should just you know take a step back and really define what inbound and outbound marketing actually is. Let's do that. So outbound marketing, um, I think in the simplest form or, or what people would, would call outbound marketing, I guess, is more of the traditional advertising methods. The stuff that we think about, television, radio, print, direct mail even, you know, things like that, right? I mean, it's the stuff we've done for years and years. 
things that you're kind of broadcasting out towards the larger general population, uh-huh. maybe, right, through some of these traditional means. I think that's where the term outbound means. It's kind of like you're projecting this message out to the larger public. But then yeah. inbound marketing refers to marketing strategies that focus on pulling audiences in. So inbound marketing in the digital sense really is related to maybe email marketing, maybe SEO, drawing people in based on kind of their preferences, based on what we know about them to really build that authenticity and authority. And a lot of times it's through the creation of some really interesting, good content. We can get into this a little bit more. Maybe we're just going to kind of jump into it now. I I, I struggle a little bit with this idea of inbound versus outbound because it sounds to me a lot like we're saying old versus new or traditional Mm -hmm. versus digital. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that that's really the way the terms are meant or or to be set up. Can you do outbound marketing in the digital sense? Sure. I mean, outbound market in the digital sense is like advertising, display advertising. You push ads out on WebMD or maybe through your local newspaper's website or what have you, and you're putting big display ads. It's almost like kind of like mini billboards that are out there on other web pages. So can you do traditional advertising that's inbound? Is that such a thing? You're getting right into where there's a little bit of confusion in my mind. And, and we'll get more into this. And, and I guess maybe before we get too far, and we can circle back on a lot of this, inbound marketing, that's just simply what it is. It's a, it's a coined term. It really hasn't even been around all that long. Now, it's been around a long time in, in the age of digital and marketing and the, w- the way we think of it now. Uh, but really was a term that was coined by HubSpot, but, but was a concept originally in the book. Uh, permission marketing back in the late 90s by Seth Godin. Gosh, now permission marketing. In 1999, that's when that book came out, Reed. Mm-hmm. Back then, the internet was not what it is today at all. Permission marketing, I guess the premise of that was based on the fact that you get permission from people to communicate with them. And back then, it was primarily through emails or maybe even through direct mail, where you get people to say, I want to subscribe to something. I want to get communications from you. I want to get some something from you. And I can opt out anytime I want to. So, I mean, really, we're just talking about opting in. I mean, really. So, in 1999, there couldn't have been anything else but email that that, that could work towards, right? For, unless I'm forgetting something. MySpace? Was MySpace around back then? No. Was it? <laughs> No. I don't know. <laughs> the only thing I can even think of online at that point in time was maybe like Napster. Or GeoCities. Maybe GeoCities <laughs> was out there. Geocities. But still, the point, is, <laughs> the point is, though, I mean, it was very limited back then, right? What permission marketing is. And it was very simplistic. You either opt in or you opt out. And you're really talking about one communication channel. I guess, actually, you could opt in in person. So like at a health fair or something like that. You could you could physically fill out the little response card. Yeah, I guess in the late nineties you can also fax it if you wanted to. <laughs> fax in your response card from the health fair. Um, I'm not sure that was HIPAA compliant, but there was no way it wasn't stored anywhere, so I guess it was HIPAA compliant. What you're striking on is the fact that inbound marketing and outbound marketing is confusing to a lot of people. And I went out to seopressor.com where they actually wrote a blog post about inbound versus outbound marketing 
which one is more effective. I think it's the title of the blog post. But I pulled this little handy-dandy chart out. On one side, you got inbound marketing. On the other side, you got outbound marketing. Okay. So, I mean, this is a list of like, you know, if I'm not sure what type of marketing I'm doing, I could run down this checklist here, right? And, and qualify what it is that I'm doing. So inbound marketing, one of the first things they say, it's permissive. Right? It seeks out permission from people, whereas outbound marketing is categorized as something that's interruptive. So definitionally uh, or philosophically, that makes sense. Permissive versus interruptive. Here's another one. Inbound marketing involves pull tactics, things that pull you to the business, whereas outbound marketing is more of the push or the pushing out tactics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that helping to clear things up now? Yes and no. Because I can come up with what I would have assumed being an inbound tactic that used push, but anyway, we can come back. We can we can come back to that. We can come back to that. Okay, let's let's get to the next characteristic. Inbound marketing is two way communication, whereas outbound marketing is one way communication. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. Here's another characteristic: in inbound marketing, marketers provide value, whereas with outbound marketing. Marketers provide little to no value. Uh, <laughs> based on what? Because he, here's the thing. I, again, in healthcare, we're saying that like outdoor billboards, for example, would be outbound marketing, right? Or print yeah, ads yeah. or something like that, right? To say that we have little to no value in the process of that um, piece of advertising is probably not fair. Now, are there cases well, sure. I'm, I'm sure there are cases where marketers provided little value. But, you know, if we're involved in the strategy uh, of a holistic campaign that includes some of those elements, you know, again, that's where we're getting kind of blurry here. Let's get the last two characteristics. Maybe it'll help clear it up. Okay, so the next characteristic with inbound marketing, customers come to you versus outbound marketing where customers are sought after. See, that, that's the biggest crock of crap I've ever seen right there. Because he, here's here's the problem with that. Customers come to you, what, just randomly? Like you have to put something out there for them to then come to you. So the two-way communication, right. totally get that versus one way, right? I mean, that makes sense. That's, but just this mm-hmm. like black or white or either or or whatever, you know, that they come to you versus you uh, seeking them out. No, that, that doesn't make any well, sense. Think about it this way, though, Reed. I mean, customers can come to you by maybe they're looking for something through like Google or a search engine of some sort, and they type in the right words, and you have SEO in place that actually brings them to your website. That's a way of customers coming to you as opposed to you pushing out to try to reach them, right? No, I mean, I get that, but you still made an effort to do all of those things in an outbound fashion, I guess is my point. Now, I mean, sure, could we nuance this and figure, you know, and, and again, some of this is semantics, you know, how, you know, how do you classify some of these things? I don't know. If you're really doing it right, you're probably doing everything. So you really don't need to classify a lot of this stuff, right? Like if you have a holistic campaign running. So, okay. All right. One more. The last characteristic is really around channels. They say the channels that used for inbound marketing include, but are not limited to search engines referrals, and social media. Whereas with outbound marketing, it's mostly print ads, TV ads, radio, and telemarketing. 
There you go. Clear as a bell, right? I yeah. mean, now we know everything that's inbound marketing versus outbound mar- marketing, right, Reed? Yeah, Let's wrap it up. Sounds good. But like you, I have a big problem with that, right? I mean, like, where does email come into play? Yeah, because you're still sending people emails. The whole point around this being permissive and doing pull tactics you can't pull people if they're coming to you. Even though the two characteristics of pull, inbound marketing are pull tactics and customers come to you. There's a big disconnect there for me. Because a pull tactic t- tells me that I'm convincing someone to come do something. But if the customer just comes to you without being convinced, anyway, yeah, it just it doesn't quite it's not quite that clean, I don't think. I get what they're doing. You know, they're trying to show the polar opposite ends of the spectrum as it relates to in and outbound. And do I believe that there are such things as inbound marketing versus outbound marketing techniques? Yeah, yes, sure. But I just don't think it's as clean as these six things are inbound tactics and these, you know, four things that are, are outbound. And neither the two shall meet or be intertwined or whatever, right? Uh, because I think as the technology has evolved, um, it's become where this isn't quite as definitive as maybe it once was. You used to be able to claim that it was inbound tactic if they opted in. And I don't know that that's exactly that clean anymore. You know, when I think about pull and push tactics, you know, I think about Facebook ads versus uh, PPC or, or Google AdWords. Yeah, one of them, you're putting something in front of somebody that is looking for it on the Google AdWords Mm -hmm. side, right? And then on the Facebook side, it's more of a pull because you're putting content in front of someone that is not looking for it at the time. I'm still confused by that, Reid, and I'll tell you why. Because in both of those cases, you're putting an ad up in front of someone that may or may not be searching for you or your product or your service or your hospital. So in a way, you're kind of interrupting them in terms of finding out information. Well, I would argue from a search standpoint, so Google AdWords, people are actively searching. And so the fact that you're putting content in front of them or ads in front of them, I don't find it being interruptive in any way, unless you're putting ads in front of keywords that don't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like you're inserting yourself into a search that you shouldn't be in kind of a thing. But assuming everybody's doing it on the up and up, you're inserting your content in front of someone that is currently looking and you're, you're targeting certain keywords and, you know, phrases and those types of things on the Facebook side, you're not really, you're not, you're not targeting a keyword, you're targeting people. And so you're putting that in front of a persona or a person that isn't currently looking. They're just scrolling through their Facebook news feed. So that's where I'm seeing yeah. the real, how those are two sides of the same coin, basically. You're making the assumption of who wants to see it versus allowing those people to make the assumption of who wants to see it. Here's the thing, though. Google is now starting to introduce Google Insights, which allows you to start to target people based on their persona type and start to insert ads, pay-per-click ads, in front of them. Okay, that's different. When they may or may not be searching. So now, suddenly, the tactic of pay-per-click 
might be shifting because now what we're doing is we're starting to advertise more like an outbound tactic. They may not be looking for you, but they're going to get your Google ad anyway. So again, this goes back to that idea that the technology is changing and the products are changing from an advertising standpoint or marketing standpoint Mm -hmm. enough and frequently enough that you can't really delineate between a lot of these you know categorical activities like we used to be able to the other thing that i thought might be good for us to try to get a good clear understanding to determine if inbound marketing actually is still relevant in today's world is maybe understanding the inbound marketing process which i think we've gone over to some certain extent before but maybe we can go over it once again and just really frame it in the in the concept of this inbound marketing term that HubSpot created about a you know decade ago. The process is really four main steps, which are attract, convert, close, and delight. And we'll go through each one in, in detail, but it's important to understand that they have to be kind of used sequentially. It's, it's kind of like where you're putting people through sort of a funnel. We've heard that before of a marketing funnel. I mean, that's all it is. I mean, the more people that do this... A certain percentage of those will then go into the next step and so forth and so on. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's go through the first one. So, uh, attract. And again, this is you know probably pretty common. And this is really everything that we do in marketing, right? It's to draw some sort of attention. Uh, I mean, it's advertising. Yeah, they talk about one of the most important differences being between outbound and inbound marketing is the fact that if classical marketing... Uh, is betting on those people inbound, is betting on that person. Again, being more granular uh, to some degree, mm-hmm. but but actually attracting people. Companies inbound marketing, you know, they, they really do a lot of this stuff. And we talked about this a minute ago, targeting personas, right? You know, they're looking for mm-hmm. ideal people and ideal customers. And hopefully in healthcare, we know who those people are. So if you're running right. a, a, you know, a campaign for the breast center or bariatrics or joint replacement, for example, this is what a typical patient looks like. And if you haven't done that, that's a great exercise to go sit down with those service line leaders and really start detailing out what do people look like that come here for these particular services. And is that very... Like if you think about bariatrics, does it vary between bypass to band to sleeve, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, So procedures inside even a certain service line. That's right. And so this isn't like random people, right? It's really understanding those buying personas, those ideal customers, using tools like CRM and others to really try to identify that targeted Mm -hmm. segment of people in your market. And sending them messages that are relevant to them, right? Putting things out there to attract them to you. And it's really based on sort of this longitudinal data, data that's not necessarily based on their age or their gender, although that does help. But it could also be on beliefs, pains, hobbies, you know, other things that might be important to them making decisions. And ultimately, attracting those visitors to your website, to your blog, to your social media, to YouTube, to whatever, yeah, I think you know if we if we can focus on moving past, and again, we're kind of getting sidetracked on personas a little bit, but if we can move past the idea of just I want to target people in this zip code or this this age range or this you know male female that kind of thing, there's some interesting ones in there, and we saw this originally, I guess, via Facebook, the ability to target interest categories and things like that. Again, you mentioned hobbies. You, know, you can even go into household income. Do they have kids or not? Uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff. 
what level of education they do have, buying habits where they shop, don't shop. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Let's take a stop for a second because I would argue that by even segmenting your audience, you're still engaging in some form of outbound marketing. It might be segmented, mm-hmm. it might be targeted, but it's still interruptive. These people, they're not seeking you out per se. You're putting stuff out there to get their attention. How segmented do we have to become to make us move from the outbound side to the inbound side, right? How targeted do we have to become to move us over that, that you know the line from one to the other? Yeah, or dare I say, you become inbound part of the way through the process. Mm. You think about HubSpot, for example, or or Unbounce, or any of these programs, right, where you can build a simple landing page. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're great. They're great for campaigns. you got the form on there. People can give you their information, et cetera. And once people give you their information, they've opted in. I could claim that that is inbound based on the definitions that we've talked about above. But to your point, they're outbound before that process, before that piece, you know, so we're having to use outbound techniques to get them to ultimately opt in to become part of this inbound marketing program. So what you're talking about is the second stage of this process, which is the convert stage. Yep. After attracting that visitor your website or whatever, then you want to be able to get them to nurture them through, maybe convert them into a prospect. Um, And part of that is starting to get them to opt in, using email to maybe drive them to a landing page, and then having them give out their email information in order to download a piece of content or to sign up for a webinar. You're giving them something of value. And in exchange, what they're doing is they're giving you an email and explicitly giving you permission to continue to email them. And I'd be remiss if I did not mention the Touchpoint Insider at this point in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't, we send out a very insightful weekly email, and that's exactly what this is. And we're looking for that conversion there, right? I mean, we, we feel like we have a piece of content that would be valuable to folks, but we have to let them know that that exists. You know, people aren't just gonna happen across it. In, in, in our case, especially. And so they would have to you know, go to the website and sign up for this. So listeners, don't worry. We're not going to be emailing you things because we don't have your email address unless you go to touchpoint.health slash insider mm-hmm. and opt in for that weekly free email newsletter. There so, you go. But that's like the whole point of conversion. And I think that's where really inbound marketing begins, to your point, Reed. We get them to, to say, okay, I'm I'm interested enough to give you some of my information. And now you can start to communicate with me in some way. And that starts sort of that tenuous balance or that relationship that you're building with those people because 
Now it's up to you to start to use that conversion to nurture them through so that inevitably, right, they get to the next phase. Actually filling out the form and clicking submit or what it, learn more or whatever the button says is the conversion point. Mm-hmm. So now once they've done that, we get to this next stage, which is actually the close. So we have the information, we have the email address, the phone number, the name, you know, whatever the form you know, requirements were that allow us to stay connected. Let me stop you for a second here though, because it often doesn't go that linear. Like you convert them once and then they close. Right. That conversion process can happen over and over again. Oh, sure. And what you're doing is you're, you're getting them to maybe give up your their email address and then maybe at a later date you get them to attend a webinar and maybe even an you know a seminar on site mm-hmm. and what you're doing is you're basically nurturing so that conversion can happen many many times over and you're converting them closer and closer to that close phase right yeah absolutely i mean we see it all the time uh even the you know the folks that are nice enough to sponsor this podcast you mentioned um you know, webinars, downloading ebooks, things like that, product demos, for example. You kind of go down this path a number of times. If you think about healthcare, there may be the online conversion. Bariatrics is a really great example. You, you advertise a uh, seminar, community seminar on bariatric surgery. Somebody fills out the form online. Well, then your bariatric coordinator has this list of people that have filled out that form. They start calling those people. They get them to then physically come to an event. Okay, so that's that's the second conversion, if you will. And then they may join a support group. There's a third conversion. And so they don't. It didn't all have to be these marketing conversions either. Knowing the process by which uh, someone becomes a customer, I think is really important in, in, in learning what all those mm-hmm. steps are. Um, because you, you're right, there are a number of conversions there, and that's when you get into drip or nurture campaigns and some things like that. But then you get to the close phase. I mean, inevitably, at one point in time, they will close, right? And and a lot of times with us, it's like making an appointment to seek out care. That could be a close. You know, in your case of bariatric, for example, the close may be that they have a consult. They come in for an appointment with one of your bariatricians. And then that bariatrician may say, you know, you're not quite ready for surgery. Why don't we try some behavioral, maybe even some medicinal approaches towards weight loss management? Um, Maybe say, hey, go sign up with uh, one of our nutritionists. Uh, We have a yoga class or we have an exercise class, that sort of thing. And that kind of gets them down the path. And then inevitably, they might be nurtured through that care to eventually maybe show up for surgery. A bariatrician, isn't that the new Gatorade flavor? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> closing in healthcare is is a is a weird term because you know when we're talking about elective procedures, it's a little bit easier to see how that makes mm-hmm. sense. So, bariatrics mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, uh, ortho or joint replacement, some of those types of procedures are elective. Uh, sleep potentially, plastics, you know, etc. So you, you can see how close might could work there, uh, especially as, you, as it relates to you know inbound marketing. You know, but when you talk about stroke, uh, emergency services, you know, labor and delivery, again, makes a little bit more sense. You're choosing where to go, where do I want to have my baby, you know, some of that kind of stuff. It's, it's really interesting. So, again, what are we looking at, the personas, and then ultimately how do these people become? 
patients, you know, what does that look like? What does that, what does that process look like? And so when you're looking at stroke, there's a lot of community education there, but, but probably just as important is uh, education of emergency medical personnel and, and providers, right? So again, right. there's all kinds of different things and nuances here in, in the healthcare space that you, that you need to think through from a close standpoint. And what's important for that, Reed, is that not all of these and many of these are not even digital, right, in nature. So now when we start to talk about inbound marketing for healthcare, at that close phase, there's a lot of steps that could occur that are not tied into your digital system. So it's not just a, a, a digital approach when you're talking about inbound marketing in healthcare. You're talking about multitude of different touch points, pun intended, with your potential customers in the market that are offline and online. Some of them are marketing related and some of them aren't. They might be clinically related or et cetera. But the whole point here is, is that you're building up uh, an experience so that as they're becoming closer and closer to your brand, that inevitably they're going to seek you out for care when that time comes. And that's why if you really want to confuse this whole thing, it's like, where does branding fit into all of this? Yeah. <laughs> if you really want to have an argument with somebody, I think, you know, something I was thinking about just a minute ago when you were talking about the different areas or different portions of a close. I mean, if you, if you even just think about, you know, community education you for other providers, I mean, is that a close? You know, we're getting people, I mean, again, you know, we're converting people over and over again. We have these people showing up to these seminars and that kind of thing. And so the idea of like, when is the close? Well, is it when they refer a patient? Is it when they, you know, what what happens there? So not to go sidetrack on you, though, but I would say that if you're uh, educating, referring providers on your services, you might be doing channel marketing, but that's a whole nother topic. Oh, boy. And maybe a whole nother podcast. A whole nother podcast. (laughs) So you, so we talked about close. The last stage is the delight stage. And what that is, is after attracting, you know, those potential customers and making them into a prospect and maybe even them, as they say, letting them buy from your company, quote unquote, then this step in the process is around keeping in touch with them to continue to provide good and valuable content and information with the hope of them doing additional closing with your organization. What does that sound like? So does the delight phase also have to do with readmissions? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this idea of, of keeping in contact after the sell, you know, I think is something that I've noticed a lot more just in the retail world in recent years, you know, and that's where I think you see a lot of things around like loyalty programs and things like that, right? Because they want you to be repeat customers. So they send you discount codes. They send you special previews of new products uh, before everyone else and, you know, different things like that. Clearly, when you think about this, you know, in the retail space, they've been tending to do inbound marketing pretty effectively for a number of years, right? I even saw videos of uh, really early stages, Amazon's on YouTube, where he's talking about how he's building customer personas and really trying to anticipate what they want so that he can continue. And this is he being Jeff Bezos, right? To, where he can continue to upsell them and get them to purchase more and more from Amazon. And apparently that works pretty well. But let's talk about now in hospitals and health systems, it's a little bit different. 
this isn't just, as we talked about earlier, it isn't just digital stuff that you use. So the channels are a little bit different. Remember where they say the channels were search engines, referrals, and social media. In many cases, your inbound marketing channels could be the good care that you provide. It could be referring physicians. It could be health fairs. There's a lot of things that go on uh, with hospitals and health systems where you can really do good inbound marketing in ways that are maybe even never even categorized as marketing. Yeah, I think a lot of the things that we do in the hospital world from a marketing department are not considered marketing. <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm flashing back to me carrying a PA down to the lobby for Employee of the Month awards and doing signs for elevators, but um, that's not really what I meant. You know, I think especially from an experience standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, it's not stuff that we typically think of as it's certainly not advertising. But I think from an inbound standpoint. Uh, you know, we're we're not ever going to find ourselves, or we should never find ourselves suggesting services, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't want to get on the computer and it's like, you know, hey, we think you might be in the market for, you know, and fill in the blank service. You know that, you know, like an Amazon, you know, recommendation engine kind of a scenario, right? So that's just that's not going to work. I don't know. I mean, that that's a hard deal because everything is so campaign-based, campaign, campaign based, I think, at least at this point from a hospital healthcare system standpoint. I also think that the hard part, too, is from a hospital healthcare perspective, we, we have trouble connecting all the dots. And so we don't really know when customers are going between a website to maybe a health fair or maybe they call up the help desk. I mean, we're not we're not really tracking all that information in one centralized database. So it's going to be really hard for us to really understand the actual process if they're actually following down this process, let alone connect the dots. I think that's a big challenge that we face. It, it is. You know, much like the interoperability piece on the technology side of the equation is just the interoperability between steps in the process or departments within the hospital. Because mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, and a lot of times we lose them once they leave, you know, like again, back to the bariatrics example, they sign up for that community seminar. Well, once they move out of that and it's a coordinator coordinator following up and scheduling people for these seminars and getting them involved in support groups and the things that have to happen uh, maybe for their insurance company uh, to pay for the surgery or or what have you, or to determine if this is even the right path for them. We ultimately, and there's such a long tail on that, you know, transplants, another one, such a long tail on, I mean, who knows if that person actually ever had anything done. How long do you know? How often do we keep going back and you know checking, so to speak, to see if they did? Yeah, you know that's a good point that you're bringing up too, Reed. Is that there's third party companies that are involved, the insurance companies, and moreover, it's not a linear path for care. Like you, like you know, I'm still chuckling about the fact that could there be a recommendation engine for healthcare? I don't think there could be, right? Because people may not go to your health system for everything that's related to their care. They may be going to a gym for weight loss prior to actually getting bariatric surgery from your health system. And how are you tracking that? I mean, you're involving all these other players. It's it's really curious to me. I, I mean, I like the idea of inbound marketing. I think that there's some interesting tenets to it. But there's so much more than just writing a really great white paper or a health and wellness 
blog post about a particular thing and then getting people to come and give their email information to read it and them turning into a patient. I'm not sure how we could track that. I'm not sure we can very well. I mean, that's the that's the promised land, right, of, of CRMs and uh, PRMs and even marketing automation and all these things is to get to a place where you know, we ultimately can can value our efforts uh, all the way through the process, all the way through to that delight stage, which means it never really stops. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touchpoint. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! Okay, now we're at that part of the podcast where Reed and I face off in our touch point, touch counterpoint segment. And Reed, one of the characteristics of inbound marketing, they say, is two-way communication. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Is inbound marketing really two-way communication? No, of course not. It's marketing. I mean, just because they're filling out a form or something like that, there's no actual communication happening. I mean, it's not two-way communication. Reed, I think you may be taking the term communication a little too literally. Maybe they're not like necessarily trading emails back and forth saying, hey, this is an interesting article. Can you send me something related to that? No, they're not doing that, but... Based on how they open it, maybe their non-overt communication tactics of opening articles, going to your website, etc., you're learning what they actually like. And so, in effect, they're communicating with you, maybe not verbally, but they're communicating with you what their preferences are. <laughs> they're complicit in the process, therefore it's two-way communication. <laughs> yeah, but you can make that argument about... You know, what they talk about is some of the pieces of outbound marketing. So like, you know, print ads or billboards or whatever, all those things have web URLs and phone numbers on them. I mean, people call those things. So I mean, that's two-way communication then. Well, they may call that, but they're unidentified. Once you identify them, let's say you get their email address and then you start sending them an email and you know that they're clicking on links to articles about a particular health condition or a health topic, in effect, what you're doing is you're learning about them based on their behaviors. So again, they're not overtly communicating with you, but they are sharing with you what their preferences are. Are they sharing with you? Or are we just 
kind of half tracking some things because they're not really sharing. Like let's take email and there's links in this email because they clicked on one. All you have to compare that against is the other links in that article, not necessarily what they like. It's just, they like this more than the other ones. Yeah. But that's a form of communication. Or you're really good at writing like clickbaity titles or something. They made them click on something. <laughs> Maybe they attend a online webinar and they start writing questions to the to the presenter. Now you know that they're interested in what they're interested in. And so when your care coordinator calls them back, they'll have some information about them, even without them telling you overtly again. I think it's some form of communication. Maybe it's not, you know, they're not directly telling you what they want, but they're indirectly telling you by their actions. All assuming that literally anyone has this information and could track and use it appropriately. I don't know a single hospital anywhere that does this. <laughs> I don't think. Do we send emails and track them? Sure. Yes. Do we know like links that were clicked on and, and that kind of thing? Yes. Do we compare it? Do we go back? Does the, does the coordinator that makes the phone call go and look and see what's been clicked on and not clicked on? No, they don't. Um, now I will say that not to get completely sidetracked. I do know some technology where they are sending information to the patients and then they're actually able to measure the open rates of those so they can head off potential issues, uh, before they come in. But anyway, that's a whole nother medium. Well, and those are probably patients that are already identified as, as patients. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're signed, they're signed up and scheduled and ready to go. Yeah. And in that case, then, you know, it really becomes part of the care pathway. Correct. Right. And so you're following procedures around how to either prep them for surgery or to make sure they're compliant after their procedure or treatment. Uh, The more I try to argue the fact that inbound marketing is to a communication, the more skeezy I sound as a marketer, right? It's like, yeah, we're learning their preferences. We're learning their just, I can see your your side of the argument very much. So they, they, they wanted, they wanted this, they wanted the communication and, and see, I mean, it's two way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would argue, though, that learning their preferences and communicating the, to them better is probably a better experience, and it gets them to engage with your brand more readily, for sure. Well, certainly. Certainly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm not saying there's not a good use case for this stuff. And, I mean, if you look at, you know, especially something like labor and delivery, but then even drill down further and say, you know, here's all the people that have had experiences in our NICU. Why do you think we have such a good response to NICU reunions and everybody's wanting to know when the next one is and things like that? Yeah, they're, they're highly engaged folks. I mean, obviously, there's there's ways to use this stuff. And it's just, can you figure out the appropriate way within your organization? All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of the podcast, and I have the distinct pleasure of talking to a good friend of mine, an old colleague, and someone that I've known for a number of years in this space. Let me welcome Bridget Thomas to our show. Bridget, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Chris. 
can you share a little bit about yourself? I would love to. I think like a lot of healthcare marketers, it's kind of once you get into this path, you stick with it forever. And I was raised by a nurse and grew up in a family of people in the medical field, but knew that wasn't necessarily for me. And then in college, I got kind of bit by the marketing bug when I interned in the uh, marketing department at a critical access hospital. And from there, I just stuck with it. Went to the American Heart Association for a while. I worked as a hospital marketer for an independent system in Southern Wisconsin, eventually moved into clinic management and did some physician liaison work for a hyperbaric wound care clinic. And then I switched over to the vendor side and worked in the CRM space. So I was an account strategist for a number of years. And now I have the privilege of being the director of client success here at Medicom, where we get to create service line specific HRAs to help our clients gather data on their health consumers. Can you tell me your definition of what inbound marketing is? Yeah, I think in healthcare, it's one of these industries where, and I joke with my husband, he works in insurance. We both work in fields where people don't want to have to pay for this service. You know, you'd rather be booking a vacation to Jamaica than you would looking up, where do I get a mammogram? Um, It's just not a service that people really care to do a lot of digging into unless they have to. And so for me, when we talk about inbound marketing, it's creating really rich content things for people to do that gives them something of value. And, you know, I'm guilty of this too, for my days working at the health system, you think something of value has to be something tangible. You know, I don't know how many first aid kits we gave away or ice packs with our logo on them. But in reality, inbound marketing, we want to capture data on folks. So what can we do to get them to compel them really to give their contact information to us so we can track and measure and continue to nurture them as leads? You've worked with hospitals in this space. Tell me a little bit about like how you help them start to structure or think about an inbound marketing program. I think it's really just it's you know take inbound out of it. It's just how do we market to consumers with the ultimate hmm. goal and I think this is true you hear this at every trade show, um every webinar is that it has to be measurable or it just doesn't work, right? Hmm. In order for us to measure things, whether you have a CRM or not, You really just need to know who are you talking to. So what can we do to get them to give us a name, an email address, maybe even a phone number or an address if we're feeling really lucky? What kind of content are you promising? In the case of, you know, what I do, it's health risk assessment. So it's giving an actual score. How are you compared to other people? How old is your heart compared to your age? How likely are you to develop breast cancer? These are things people really want to know more than they need another ice pack in their freezer. They want something that will help them and be a Value, value to them so that they can make lifestyle changes to avoid actually needing healthcare services. Yeah, that's that's so true. Although that ice pack does help sometimes. <laughs> so when you're working with these hospitals, what are some things that you're seeing that they're doing nowadays to develop good inbound campaigns? What's old is new again. So we're all kind of over, it's overdone, all the emails. I I think everybody I know has a separate email address they use for the list they subscribe to. They just don't want it consuming their personal inbox. And so when I say what's old is new again, we're seeing a really big uptick in direct mail being successful. Billboards, as you drive down the highway, they have a vanity URL, something like whatsmyheartage.com, and it directs right back to that health system. Or even in more urban areas, we're starting to see things like bus wraps and taxi tops that have, you know, text this five-digit number to get your heart age today. And people are taking action and doing it because it's a great way to not only kill a few minutes of time, but also get some real information back that you can use use to make your life better. 
the way you describe it, it sounds pretty simple, but it, th- that's the very point, I guess. Getting your heart age or understanding sort of your risks about stroke or what have you, that's a pretty daunting task. But the way you described it is like um, a really easy to remember URL, maybe even texting it. You're kind of reducing the friction to get people to to get more information from you. And that sounds a little bit different than like all the other content that's out there, you know, like the blog posts about what is a bug bite or, or should I smoke during pregnancy? That sort of thing. (laughs) Well, no, you shouldn't do that, but you're absolutely (laughs) right. And I think word choice is so critical. And I actually have had this conversation with clients quite a bit. You know, do I call it a health risk assessment? Do I call it a quiz? What do do I call it a questionnaire? How do I phrase it to make people want to take action? And I think you really have to focus on how you're selecting your words and kind of do some A-B testing too to see what's resonating the, the most with the audience. But you're absolutely right. I think something a person can take action on is always going to outperform a blog post or a more passive piece of content. What are some other ways that you've seen hospitals and health systems develop good inbound campaigns? You know, I think that everybody wants to really focus um, on what's the call to action going to be, but we need to really take a step back and focus on who are the people we want to talk to. I think all marketers today are strapped for time and resources, and they don't want to waste time maybe talking to a smoker about CT lung scans if that person hasn't been a smoker long enough to qualify, or maybe they don't smoke enough packs per day. So I spend a lot of my time working on how are we going to get the right people to this assessment. In the same vein, as I'm reviewing campaigns with clients who've been around for three or four or five years, and maybe they've been talking about knee and hip on their website for that length of time, and they've never addressed the targeting. We have so much data available to us today that what I'm encouraging people to do is go back and look at your results. Are you getting a lot of people in that 45 to 55 age range that are actually completing this assessment? If not, let's readjust. Let's talk to the people that are 60 and up because you know what? They are technologically savvy and they are doing these things. So if they're the ones most likely to complete it, let's focus our targeting on those folks. So what you're telling me is they don't need to invest in like a half a million dollar CRM to actually get some good targeting? <laughs> you know, I'm not saying not to. I'm saying there certainly are workarounds, but a lot of our clients do have CRM or they're at least pursuing it. You know, you really have to weigh the pros and cons for a system of, you know, whatever your size and needs are. There's a lot of different people there are different companies out there um, and they all have very different strengths. So it's worth pursuing, certainly. You still make it sound a little bit a little bit easy, Bridget. I mean, there there is some strategy to building inbound marketing, right? I think what I'm seeing happen a lot more is some effort being put into the follow-up plan. So again, this is an area where a lot of us fall short, right? We might get the targeting, we might get the lead in the door, we might get them to do take our call to action. But what are we doing afterwards? And again, this gets back to being pretty strapped as a marketing team. But if you can take time with an agency or with your team and really sit down to map out what that patient's journey is going to look like, that's where a lot of the benefit's going to be. So if a woman is taking a risk assessment about breast cancer, you've got her in as a lead. She comes back high risk because of the way she answered the questions. That woman might get a call from a nurse navigator, a follow-up email taking her to a website about breast cancer and her risks and bios on the doctors. And it might have a, you know, a clickable call to action that takes her directly to online scheduling for a mammogram. Similarly, if somebody takes one for maybe a sleep apnea assessment and they come back as low risk, in that person's mind, they probably aren't sleeping well. But according to the way they answered the questions, 
it's not really a problem yet. And the key word being yet. So you're going to nurture that person very differently. They're not going to get a direct outreach from somebody at the system, but they might get put on a neat newsletter or they might get a, you know, a benefit out of a telehealth consult. It really just depends. And so I think the biggest part to inbound marketing isn't necessarily how we get the lead in. It's how we take care of that lead after the fact, because they've already taken a step and spent time with us and given their contact information. Now the onus is on us to make sure that that person gets some benefit out of it. That makes so much sense as you're describing that. Yeah. And I mean, I've even had clients go through the whole process of, you know, oh, we're going to do a peripheral artery disease campaign. We get the plan built. We get the whole thing ready to go. And suddenly Mm -hmm. there's nobody operationally to do any outreach. And this particular Mm -hmm. client was very focused on, we want to be very hands-on and personal with this campaign. So the whole thing got sidelined. So, you know, healthcare, we're filled with red tape and hiccups and things that are, you know, kind of a roadblock to making this an easy experience for a consumer. It's up to us as marketers to kind of meander through that for them and figure out the, the path of least resistance to get them in the door. Well, and also it, it forces us as marketers to really build relationships with other parts of the business that are traditionally p- not part of a marketing campaign, right? Like now you're talking to the call centers or you're talking to the nurses for follow-up. Have you, have you seen any, uh, any challenges with organizations that are trying to go down that path? Yeah, you know, I, I see a lot of it where it's just, oh, we hadn't even thought about that. We hadn't even thought about had it having somebody from the bariatric program do phone calls and outreach. You know, how many would how many calls will that be a month? So we start having those conversations and it's such a new avenue for a lot of folks. We can't, as vendors, I can't go and say, go to your cardiac surgeons and say, what do I need to do to get a patient in the door? But you as a hospital marketer, if I coach and help you kind of say, you know what, a lot of cardiovascular departments require a referral from primary care in order to get them in for a stress test. Find out if that's true for your system, and then we can build your plan around that. Those are the sort of things that a good partner in this space will help you. They'll coach and, and help you ask the right questions. If we don't have a good plan, a good you know way for this consumer to get from point A to point B to point C, it's all going to fall apart. You can have leads all day long, but if you aren't giving them the next steps, you're never going to have a billable encounter. Or maybe you'll have one and their experience will be so horrible, they'll go somewhere else for the rest of the care. You know, it's really, it goes back to that adage, right? It's about reducing the friction, making it easier for people to seek out care. I think that's why um, a lot of times people aren't resistant to thinking about their health because it's so difficult when they have to actually go down that path. And even as, you know, people in our industry where we deal with this stuff all the time, it's still challenging. I mean, I've been for either my kids or myself or a spouse been at the doctor a number of times this year. And, you know, how many times do you end up meeting with a patient financial counselor and they put a piece of paper in front of you with a number on it and you're like, I have no idea what this means. So just think about, you know, putting yourself in the shoes and being empathetic to patients who maybe don't have this level of knowledge that we do and really just taking a step back and understanding the the frightening feeling sometimes of what healthcare can be. So as we look at the future and you kind of put in, you know, look into your crystal ball, what do you where do you think we're going? Where do you think do you think it's going to get easier for us or is it getting harder? What I can tell you is, you know, the bottom line is going to be finding a way for us as marketers to give tools to the consumer 
that make their life easier. And that's not earth shattering news. I think we always talk about wanting two-way communication. It's probably going to continue to get harder in this digital age where people have, you know, multiple online personas. So this one's for the list that I'm on and this is for my real life. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that is going to be hard for us. And again, no one wants to use healthcare services, not necessarily anyway. So finding a way to make ourselves relevant just in daily living seems to be the ticket. You know, what can I do today to make my life better 10 years from now? So those are the things that I think are going to be the key. It's, it's more of taking that wellness approach, which I think a lot of our health systems are doing. Is there anything else? Things with patient financial assistance programs. So not just for a low income consumer, but if you think about heart patients who come back as maybe a high risk heart person, giving them a discount on a prescription that might be related to a statin they get prescribed or somebody with diabetes getting a discount on um, some insulin. And then um, the other one being annual wellness visits, which are covered under Medicare. I think a lot of systems are aware of it, but don't necessarily understand that there is a place for an HRA is a billable event within that. So we're seeing more happening there. I mean, there's millions of dollars in shared savings that are being left on the do- on the table just because health systems can't quite figure out how to collect this data and don't have a good tool to do it. So we're starting to see more in the point of care setting as well. So those would be probably the two big things that are a big shift in our business and how it's been working. Your business is Medicom, where you're really providing some health risk assessments where people can actually learn about their propensity for disease. Yes. I mean, somebody can go on to the hospital's website. And so directing consumers to take those, the consumer spends five minutes answering questions. At the end, they understand how likely they are to develop a certain disease state or condition. And they've given their name, their contact info back to the health system who can then market to them. And we are starting to get more into that clinical point of care. We have some health systems that exclusively use HREs in the clinical setting. And so they're, mm-hmm. you know, seeing 90 plus percent completion rates on these and still being able to nurture those patients over time and share follow-up information with them. It's been a huge um, kind of shift and just a nice to have little tool to now it's become the cornerstone of how are we going to share what we do in diabetes or heart or stroke with our community? And how are we going to make this more of a population health tool to help reverse kind of the, the downward spiral that some people can be on? This has been really informational. I really appreciate all your insights and your experience and sharing your ideas with, with everybody. Bridget, if uh, people want to learn a little bit more about you and where you work, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you online? Um, If you just go to medicomhealth.com, that's where you can find all of my information. We're sharing articles all the time with our our clients and our public about what's going on in the space and how to use our tools to do different service line marketing and just different tips and tricks for being successful in the marketing campaigns that you're already running. So you can find us there. You actually are, are pretty active on LinkedIn and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. So people can follow you online and learn a little bit more about you. Bridget, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate your insights. Thanks guys. All right, wrapping up another successful episode and uh, certainly appreciate uh, you listening again. Touchpoint.health is the website. Uh, You certainly know at this point how to track Chris and I down, but you can find us on all the popular social media channels all the kids are using. And I'd love to hear from you. Show ideas and all that kind of good stuff is certainly something we we appreciate. Uh, 
Before we before we get into recommendations, maybe a couple of uh, things that are coming up for us. Yeah, Reed, one of the first things is that you and I are going to be at the Atlas Conference, the fifth annual Thought Leadership on Access Symposium, which uh, is sponsored by Kairos, and that's in Boston on October 15th through the 17th. I'm going to be on a panel, but you and I are going to be there as well, doing some interviews with uh, some of the top speakers at the conference. That's right. It's at the beautiful Renaissance uh, Boston Waterfront Hotel. Uh, Something kind of different. And actually, I'm going to be there as a media member. (laughs) Um, Uh But hey, uh, real quick though, if it's something that you're interested in and potentially attending... Uh, now, this this is only good for health systems and hospital executives. If you register and you use the discount code TOUCHPOINT50, TOUCHPOINT50, you will get 50% off. 50% off your registration. So go out to atlasconference.com and click on the register now button. It's pretty interesting. It's going to be uh, uh, healthcare marketers as well as people that are in the in the patient access. I think this year's conference is about systemness. That's right. Um, the ability to create sort of an integrated patient-focused experience. And we'll have links to that in the show notes, of course. But uh, after Atlas is the Healthcare Internet Conference, which uh, is it in November, is that right? November 5th through the 7th in Scottsdale, Arizona. That's always a fun one. Look forward to seeing everybody there as well. So We're going to record a live episode of our podcast there, and um, I'm going to be speaking on a panel there as well. And if you're really interested, seek out Reed or myself, and we can, we'd can we love to talk to you. We'd love to chat with you about things, and who knows, maybe we'll interview you. And then finally, or maybe not finally, but it's at least the last one I know of this fall, uh, that next week, November 14 and 15, is the 2018 Mayo Clinic Social Media Network Annual Conference, and it's going to be in Jacksonville, Florida. So at their Jacksonville uh, uh, campus. So a lot of great keynotes. You can check out the website there over at socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. So those are three great options this fall. We'll be at all of them. Very cool. Well, uh, before we get out of here, what uh, what recommendation do you have today? So, Reed, my recommendation um, is an app. I know that you're kind of in rural Texas, right? There's maybe not a lot big communities around you, but you guys have Target down there, don't oh, you? Yeah, for sure. We have a ton of Targets. You know, we're in Minnesota, the the state. Oh that, yeah, the Target capital of the world to the country. Have you ever used the app Cartwheel? Let me tell you, Cartwheel is an app that's now part of the Target app. It's like a a mobile virtual shopping cart, Mm. but it works in so many different ways. Let me tell you about it. First of all, of course, you can get and and purchase things off of Target.com through it, right? So you have access to Target.com, no problem. The other thing about it is it really provides an interface between the digital world and the real world. And what you can do is you, when you enter in a store, you can open up the Cartwheel app and it will identify where you're at. It will know the Target store that you're at. It can tell you in that Target store where things are by aisle. So if you're looking for a specific things, like we were looking for a fly swatter in one store and it told us it's in aisle 51, right? Mm-hmm. So it knew where to go. It knew it in that particular store. It also could tell you the inventory of those items in that store. And if you're looking for a particular product, it will tell you how many are in stock in that store at real time. 
And if it's not available in that store, it will tell you the closest available target where that tar- where that product is available. Lastly, this is the coolest thing. When you're walking around and you start to put stuff into your shopping cart, you scan the barcode with the Target Cartwheel app. And what it can do is occasionally give you extra discounts that you can redeem at checkout. Mm. Like extra 50% off, $3 off, what have you. And it could be things that are already on sale. And it's just like this added bonus, right? So let's say you're going through and you're picking stuff off that some of it's on sale or whatever. If you scan that barcode into your Cartwheel app at checkout, you scan your Cartwheel app um, ID. And then what will happen is it'll take that additional discount on your way out. Nice. That's awesome. That's great, man. I'm down. I'm so, downloading that right now as we speak. So I'm gonna check that out. I'm gonna try that next time I go. Very, very cool. Uh, mine is maybe something you could buy next time you're in Target. I, I've been enjoying these. You know, I drink a decent amount of water, but I do like uh, lemon and lime uh, in water or tea or whatever. And I've really gotten where I like these Dasani, which is I guess the coat in that coats bottled water or whatever it yeah. is. Anyway. Well, they have Dasani Sparkling. It comes in a can. Uh, and I like the lime, the lime flavored. It's uh, it's really good. I mean, some of them are a little too sweet. I don't, I don't like a lot of like artificial tasting uh, flavor. Uh, and they make them in a ton of different mm-hmm. different flavors. But the Dasani Sparkling Lime is my uh, it's my favorite. So, all right. Well, very good. Uh, another, another good episode. And again, thanks for uh, all the support. Be sure to go out, subscribe, uh, wherever you get your podcast, rate and review us, let us know how we're doing. That is uh, literally the best way for people uh, to find us is uh, via other people uh, rating and reviewing us. So, Appreciate all the love and support. Uh, Thanks for checking out the new shows. We've heard a lot of feedback from you all, and I appreciate that. And uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.